إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So last week then we began this slightly long hadith regarding the man and the chicken that was given to him and he didn't want to eat it. Remember? No? Yes? So we'll just read the hadith again uh, from the beginning of it and then go through it from the sections we had. Uh, so the narration is of Zahdam. قال كان بين هذا الحي من جرم وبين الأشعريين ود وإخاء. He says that between the tribes of Jurm and the Ash'aris there was good relations between them. فكنا عند أبي موسى الأشعري. So he says we were with Abu Musa الأشعري. فَقُرِّبَ إِلَيْهِ الطَّعَامُ فِيهِ لَحْمُ And so some food was given to him, to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. In amongst that food was some chicken. وَعِنْدَهُ رَجُلٌ مِنْ بَنِي تَيْمِ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّهُ مِنَ الْمَوَالِي And there was a man there from Bani Tamim Allah, as though he was one of their freed slaves. فَدَعَاهُ إِلَيْهِ So then Abu Musa invited him to come and eat from this food which had been put forth in amongst it some chicken. Said to that man, come and eat. فقال, but that man said, إِنِّي رَأَيْتُهُ يَأْكُلُ شَيْئًا فَقَذِرْتُهُ The man said, but the chicken meat I saw the chicken that was slaughtered يعني, beforehand. I saw it and it was eating some things which made me feel disgusted to eat it because of the things that it was eating and I saw it eating. This chicken that has been slaughtered and put forward now to eat. He said, I saw it before and it was eating some things which have put this feeling in me. Now I'm disgusted at eating this chicken. فَحَلَفْتُ لَا أَكُلُهُ So I took an oath that I wouldn't eat it. And you remember that section we discussed last time. If a chicken is eating impurities or uh, affairs of that nature, then if the majority of what it ate was of those impurities, then you're not allowed to eat that chicken. But there is a method of purifying it or cleansing it, and that is to... Three days only give it the clean and pure food away from that impurity uh, in the modern language to flush it through and then it becomes pure, you can eat it again. So that's what happened at the beginning of this story. Some food was brought forth, in amongst that food was some chicken. The man was invited to come and eat from it, but the man said, I saw that chicken before and it was eating some disgusting affairs, I took an oath, I'm not going to eat it. So then, فَقَالْ He then said to him, هَلُمَّ 
فلا احدثك عن ذاك he said come come i'll tell you something about that meaning about this situation what's the situation that man saw the chicken eating some bad things and he took an oath i'm not going to eat that chicken so then he says to him abu musa says to him come i'll tell you something about this type of scenario what's happened to you here that you made an oath not to eat it come i'll tell you something about this situation inni ataytu an-nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he says i on one occasion came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi nafarin min al-ash'ariyin nastahmiluhu he said on one occasion i along with a group of us from the ash'ariyin this doesn't mean now the ash'aris in terms of when we talk about the groups and aqeedah this is from the tribe etc in those days he says so some of us from the ash'ariyin we went to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam nastahmiluhu that we were seeking from him some mount something to ride upon qal the prophet said to them, That by Allah, I will not give you any mount, and I don't actually have anything to give you. I will, by Allah, I will not put you upon some mount, and neither do I have any to give you anyway. Then all of a sudden, in that situation, that at that time then, in that scenario just then, coincidence, some camels from the, uh, like the war booty, some camels were brought forth to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So then the Prophet sallallahu remembered this group who were asking for some riding animal, and now all of a sudden these camels came out of the blue to him, so he asked about them, where have they gone? Those who were asking for some riding animal, some mount. He said, where are they? That group of Ash'ariyun who were asking for the mount. So then the Prophet ﷺ commanded for five well-fed camels to be given to them. Five good physical camels to be given to them. And so they took them and got their mounts now, they're riding, and they went. Then they said to each other, Kulna, now that they've gone with the riding animals, they've got these camels now, they've gone and they said, Ma sana'na. They said, What have we done? Halafa Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, la yahmiluna. At the beginning when they had gone to the Prophet and asked him for some riding animal, the Prophet sallallahu had said, by Allah, I'm not going to give anything. I don't have anything to give you. The Prophet had taken an oath, but then just coincidence, some camels turned up from the war booty, etc. And so the Prophet called for them and said, okay, take these. Then they said afterwards now, what have we done? The Prophet had taken an oath. He wasn't going to give us anything. He didn't have anything. But now, ma'indahu ma'yahmiluna. He didn't have anything to give us. 
But in the end, He has given us these camels now. They said, we made the Prophet forget about his oath. That initially the Prophet had made the oath, I, I'm not going to give you anything, I don't have anything by Allah. But then suddenly they came and he gave them to him. To them. Now they are thinking, have we done something wrong here? The Prophet initially in his statement had made an oath. He's not going to give us anything, he doesn't have anything. And then in the end, he has given us some now. Maybe he forgot the oath he had taken in the statement initially. Are we in wrong for that now? They were thinking. Wallahi la nuflihu abada. They said, by Allah, we're never going to be successful. Because they now thought they were at fault for having taken the camels. Maybe the Prophet forgot his initial statement that by Allah, I'm not going to give you anything. And then he's given it to them. So they were now feeling, maybe we've done something wrong, we've, we're not going to be successful like this. So they said, we went back to him. And we said to him, they told him the story and what happened, and that initially he had said by Allah, I'm not going to give you any. And then he gave them these camels, they told him all of that. So he said, لَسْتُ أَنَا أَحْمِلُكُمْ he said, but it's not I who gave you those riding mounts. It is not I anyway, the Prophet said. Rather, it is Allah who gave you those mounts. Meaning in that situation when they came, the Prophet didn't have any. And then just decree of Allah. They were brought to him from the war booty, etc. And they got them. So he said, it wasn't me, it was from Allah that you got those mounts. Then the Prophet said, I by Allah do not take an oath upon an affair. And then if I see something else to be better than what I have taken an oath upon, Except that in that situation then, I will take that which is better and expiate the oath that I took. That indeed, I do not take an oath upon an affair. If I then see something better, I will then take the better and expiate my oath in that case. So this is the narration that is mentioned here. The first section we spoke about already regarding the chicken and the fiqh and the rulings. The second section now. As Shaykh Al-Thameen says, ذَكَرَ قِصَّةَ حَمْلِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم الأشعريين بعد أن أتوه وقالوا احملنا يا رسول الله فقال ما عندي ما أحملكم so when they came asking the Prophet ﷺ initially told them, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have anything to give you. And there are these ayat in a tawbah referencing the same situation. But then as we saw in the story, the decree of Allah at that time, Allah made it easy for them. 
and some riding animals, the mounts appeared. Some camels were brought from that war booty that they had. فَأُوتِيَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِالنَّهْبِ إِبْلِ So just at that time by coincidence, some of those war booty camels that were collected were brought to the Prophet ﷺ. And so the Prophet gave them five uh, stocky, fat, well-built camels and that they had white humps. The humps on the camels were white. So then after they took these camels, they began to be concerned amongst themselves. And they began to fear that, did we almost like compel the messenger to give us those camels? وَقَوْلُهُمْ And that's when they began saying, تَغَفَّلْنَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى That maybe we were the cause of the Prophet forgetting his oath in his initial statement. Because he had said, Wallahi la ahmilukum. By Allah, I cannot give you a mount. So they were regretful over that. So they went back to him and he told them, But it's not I who gave you those mounts, rather it is Allah. Because in that situation, by the decree, those camels had then just come without the Prophet having expected them wasn't expecting anything to come. That's why he said to them, Wallahi, I cannot give you anything. But then they came. So he mentioned to them, it is Allah who gave you those and not I. The meaning of that obviously is just like that. That it was the decree of Allah. It was unexpected by the messenger. They just happened to coincidentally be brought at that time. That's the meaning of Allah provided you those, not I. The people of innovation, of course, upon their misunderstandings, use this hadith as one of their examples, along with other examples, to say that our actions are not really our actions. That our actions, what we do, are just from Allah. They are actions attributed to Allah. The Jabariyyah. Those who say we are like a feather in the wind. The Jabariyyah, when it comes to the decree, they say we are like a feather in the wind. Wherever it blows, we go. Whatever Allah has decreed, we're just following that path. We have no choice. So they use this as an example. They say, look, the messenger was affirming. He didn't do any action. It is the action of Allah. But that's not the meaning of it. The meaning is, as we said, it was coincidence, it was unexpected, the camels just turned up. That's the meaning of it. Not that the Prophet ﷺ is saying, our actions are not our actions at all, and we have no choice, and everything which happens is just being done by Allah for us. If that was the case, then upon the statement of the Jabariyyah, the people who enter hellfire enter with no fault of their own. And the people who enter paradise enter by no uh, effort of their own. If it is just like a weather, a, a feather in the wind blowing whichever way, then why are the people who do righteous actions going to be rewarded? And why are the people who do bad going to be punished? That would be in a scenario where we have no choice. And of course we have choice.
Allah gave us choice at the moment of doing your actions. Then the Shaykh gives a small explanation regarding taking an oath and when it's allowed to break an oath and to expiate having broken your oath. And he mentions that breaking your oath on something or that statement when you say, Wallahi, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z or not do X, Y, and Z. To break that, he says there are five scenarios upon the rulings of fiqh that sometimes it would be wajib to break it. Sometimes on the other end, it would be haram to break it. Sometimes it would be mustahab to break it. Sometimes it would be makruh to break it. And sometimes neither. All five situations are possible with an oath. How so? He gives some examples here. Uh, if a person said that by Allah, he is not going to pray in the jama'ah. If a man says, by Allah, he is not going to pray in the jama'ah. Now, in this case of this oath, it is wajib upon him to break that oath, do the expiation and pray. You have to pray in the jama'ah. It would be wajib upon him to break that oath. There are other, ex well, the shaykh says, so if he was to say, Wallahi la usalliyanna al-yawma ma'an jama'ah, Ah, the other side, if a person now makes an oath by Allah, I am going to pray in the jama'ah today. A man makes an oath and says, by Allah, I'm going to go and pray in the jama'ah today. Now it is on the other side where it's haram for you to break that oath in any case, because it is obligatory upon you to go and pray in jama'ah anyway. So you can't break that anyway. So it is haram in that case to break that oath. So if you made an oath of that nature, I vow or uh, by Allah, I'm gonna pray in the jama'ah today. Haram for you to break that oath. You have to go and pray in the jama'ah. The other side, somebody says, by Allah, he's not gonna pray in the jama'ah. Haram, he has to. So now it's obligatory for him to break that oath and to do the expiation. And the shaykh, he gives examples for the mustahab and the makruh. The mustahab could be, for example, a person says that by Allah, he's not going to pray the sunnah prayers. The obligatory, and then you have the sunan that go with them. A person makes an oath, wallahi, he's not going to pray the sunan on a particular day. So in that case, can he fulfill that? Technically, yes, because it's not obligatory to pray the sunan prayers. If you miss it, it's not a sin. But obviously, you're supposed to pray them. So in that case, it would be mustahab for him to drop that oath and go and pray the sunan prayers. And the other way as well, if a person was to say, by Allah, I am going to pray the sunan prayers today. Then obviously you should fulfill that. But if a person didn't fulfill it and didn't pray them, is it a sin not to pray the sunnah? No. So now it would be makruh to break that oath. You should stick to it and do it. Pray the sunnah. But if you broke it and didn't, it's not a sin. It would be makruh for you to break that oath. 
So the Shaykh is just giving some examples. That is a side point regarding an oath. And sometimes it may be obligatory to break it. Sometimes haram to break it. Sometimes mustahab to break it. Sometimes makruh to break it. Then after that, قال البخاري رحمه الله تعالى حدثنا عمر بن علي قال حدثنا أبو عاصم قال حدثنا قرة بن خالد قال حدثنا أبو جمرة الضبعي قلت لابن عباس فقال قدم وفد عبد القيس على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالوا إن بيننا وبينك المشركين من مضى وإنا لا نصل إليك إلا في أشهر حرم فمرنا بجمل من الأمر إن عملنا به دخلنا الجنة وندعو إليها من وراءنا قال آمركم بأربع وأنهاكم عن أربع آمركم بالإيمان بالله وهل تدرون ما الإيمان بالله شهادة أن لا إله إلا الله وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة وتعطوا من المغنم الخمس وأنهاكم عن أربع لا تشربوا في الدباء والنقير والظروف المزفتة والحنتمة in this narration now, it's mentioned how a group from Abdul Qais, a group of them from Abdul Qais, the, the tribe or the people, they came to the Prophet wasallam and they said to him, indeed between us where we reside and you are the mushrikun. So we can't get to you except in the sacred months in the months of Hajj etc that we cannot get to you otherwise because between us and you where we are there are mushrikeen geographically between us so we cannot get to you except in these months so therefore meaning we want to benefit now from this short time this is the only opportunity we get therefore command us with something command us with some affairs that if we do them, we'll enter paradise. And we can uh, give that information and give the da'wah regarding what you inform us of to our people back home too. So they are telling him that we can only get to you at certain times because between us, the kuffar, they intervene, they stop us. We can only get here certain times. So give us something now. Give us something that we can act upon, tell us, advise us, command us. We can act upon it and we'll enter paradise. And we can go and tell our people back home too. قال, so the Prophet said to them, I command you with four things and I prohibit you from four things. I command you to have Iman in Allah. The first thing mentioned, I command you to have Iman in Allah. And do you know what Iman in Allah is? It is Shahadatu an la ilaha illallah. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. 
salah and that means establishing the prayer which means performing the prayer as it should be performed with the conditions in place prior to it and then the arkan and the wajibat the sunan in the correct prayer times everything done accurately like that establish the prayer and to give the zakat and that from the war booty you give a fifth of it in the path of Allah and I prohibit you from four لا تشربوا في الدب والنقير والظروف في المزفتة والحنتمة. All of those are types of utensils and vessels that they would drink alcohol in. So it is being mentioned the prohibition of the alcohol and these certain types of vessels and utensils that they used to use for the fermentation process. Fermenting the, the, the process of fermentation to create alcohol. So all of that was being prohibited. These are all different types of the utensils that they used to use for that purpose. For the wine, for the intoxicants. So the point of this narration is from the beginning that the Prophet ﷺ commanded them with four things. The first of them to have Iman in Allah. And having Iman in Allah is explained as Shahadatu an la ilaha illallah to bear testification that none has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah. And that we've discussed many a time now. The Shahada, the testimony of faith that it is built upon two pillars Affirmation, negation, tawheed, how it works. All of the Qur'an, the ayat are based upon that affirmation and negation because the two of them together create tawheed. So, la ilaha illallah. There is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. No deity worthy of worship in truth and negation. Illallah, except Allah, an affirmation. And then it's mentioned, Iqamu Salah, as we said, and Ita'u Zakat, the prayer, the Zakat. What about fasting and hajjing? What about fasting and hajj? Why are they not mentioned here? Possibly. Possibly. Anything else? That the fact that you have had certain conditions for you to fast and certain conditions for you to perform the hajj. Even zakat. If you haven't got the money, you don't have to give it. Anybody else? Because there's lots of narrations like this. Where some of the pillars are mentioned and others aren't. Even in the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, the famous narration, tell them firstly about 
Tawheed and then about the prayer about zakat and that's it. Hajj and fasting are not mentioned. The scholars they say, clearly, clearly, all of the pillars of Islam are interconnected. It's not like you can say, okay, this narration is a proof that you don't have to have hajj and fasting. Obviously not. Everything is interconnected. And the scholars, they say, this is giving an example of the, maybe you could say the superior pillars, or the higher pillars, and then the others that follow. Because many scholars say, the shahada, the prayer, and zakat. Then they say fasting and hajj. Because it is mentioned, the prayer is the highest form of bodily worship. And the zakat is your highest form of wealth-related worship. And they say everything else is encompassed within those. Bodily and wealth. Either physical worship from your body you have to do, or worship related to your wealth. So, hajj, and, hajj is related to both, in fact. Physical body and your wealth and fasting is related to your physical body. So they say by mentioning these, then it encompasses and it of course references or indicates to the others that are mentioned in other parts of the Quran and Sunnah of course. So that is the narration there and it highlights the key point at the beginning regarding Tawheed once again. La ilaha illallah highlights about the establishment of the prayer about the giving of the zakat. These are the fundamentals of the religion, the very core principles of the religion. And this is a famous hadith which is used in regards to talking about iman and talking about the basis of tawheed and actions in the religion, prayer and zakat. The hadith about the wafd of Abd Qais. They'll mention it as the hadith of the wafd of Abd Qais. And this is the narration they refer to. There is a car blocking the neighbor's drive and needs to be moved immediately. It's a blue Kia SF57MMD. Don't all have to look that way. <laughs> Carry on looking over here. There you are. So then, the next narration. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْبَةَ إِبْنُ سَعِيدَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا اللَّيْثِ عَنْ نَافِعَ عَنْ الْقَاسِمِ إِبْنْ مُحَمَّدَ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ إِنَّ أَصْحَابَ هَذِهِ الصور يُعَذَّبُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَيُقَالُ لَهُمْ وَيُقَالَ لَهُمْ أَحْيُوا مَا خَلَقْتُمْ We touched upon this previously, where the Prophet ﷺ said, the ones who make these pictures will be punished on the day of judgment. And it will be said to them, bring to life what you have created. The next narration, exactly the same point again. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوا النُّعْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حَمَّادِ بْنُ زَيْدَ عَنْ أَيُّوبِ عَنْ نَافِعَ عَنْ إِبْنِ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا قَالَ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ إِنَّ أَصْحَابَ هَذِهِ الصُّوَرِ يُعَذَّبُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ 
وَيُقَالَ لَهُمْ أَحْيُوا مَا خَلَقْتُمْ That indeed the ones who make these pictures will be punished on the day of judgment and it will be said to them, bring to life what you have created, what you have pictured. And in the next one too, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدِ بْنُ الْعَلَى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا بْنُ فُضَيْلِ عَنْ عُمَارَةِ عَنَ بِزُرْعَةَ سَمِعَ أَبَا هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَقُولْ قَالَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذَهَبَ يَخْلُقُ كَخَلْقِي فَلْيَخْلُقُ ذَرَّهِ أَوْ لِيَخْلُقُ حَبَّةً أَوْ شَعِيرًا That Abu Hurairah says, I heard the Prophet say that Allah said, so this is a hadith, Qudsi, that who is more of a wrongdoer, who is more transgressive than the one who goes creating as I create, the one who goes off creating as I create, so then let him create a dharrah. In the modern day translations, they often refer to that as the smallest thing possible. So they say these days, an atom. Let him create even an atom. Meaning even the smallest thing. Let him create even the smallest thing. Or to create uh, 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 some barley or some wheat. To create some barley or some wheat a barley grain or a grain of wheat, let him create even those tiny things if he can. So all of these narrations are regarding picture making, regarding picture making in whatever form that might be. Doesn't just mean you get a pencil and you draw a picture on a piece of paper. It can be a painting, it can be a sculpture that you carve out, it can be whatever form of a picture that you make, a sculpture that you make, whatever it might be. Something that you are now creating as a representation of something living. So then it mentions they will be punished on that day and they will be told, bring to life what you have made. And of course, will they be able to bring those things to life? Of course not. So then the Shaykh says, uh, the point here is إِضَافَةُ الْخَلْقِ إِلَى هَؤُلَى That it mentions here, bring to life what you created. Indicating the affirmation of the action to them. I.e. that they had the choice, Allah gave them that choice. They then did that picture and whatever they did. So that is affirming that point once again. And this is right back to the beginning where we began on this point. In regards to your recitation being your action, but the words being the words of Allah. So now you make these pictures, that's your action, your choice, you did that. And that's why you will be accountable upon it on the day of judgment. The Shaykh, he mentions here, a fa'idah, a small benefit. It's mentioned here only briefly. And there is more detail to it than what the Shaykh mentions here. He says that video, video, uh, videos, video footage does not come into picture making. 
And the reason why he gives, the reason he explains that with, he says that making a video is not creating something like the creation of Allah. Rather, you are simply capturing the very creation of Allah. Basically, the, the discussion here is like, when you look into a mirror, have you created an image? Absolutely, that's an image there in the mirror. But is it a creation you've created, creating like the creation of Allah? It is not. It is your 100% reflection. It is your, it's you. That isn't something you've created to resemble you. It is you in the mirror. So that isn't considered a picture. Because that isn't something you've created or tried to create or resemble to creation. It is the light reflection of you in the mirror. The Shaykh basically is mentioning the same kind of point on video recording. That when you make a video recording of someone, you've not created anything. It is exactly that thing in the video. It is exactly that thing. And that's why some, and it's a weak opinion, say that photographs are the same argument then. When you take a photograph, you've not created anything. It is exactly like a mirror. A photograph you take now, that is exactly the same as looking into a mirror. Because what's in that photograph is exactly you as it is when you look in a mirror. So some say that isn't a picture that you've made. But that is a weak argument. Because as Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he said, when you take pictures, when you take pictures, that picture you take with your photograph, with your tablet, with whatever device you use, the picture you take, it is a picture of something living. For example, now we're talking about living things. You are known as even linguistically before you get into any other debate or issue. Linguistically, you are a, the one who takes photographs is a photographer, a musawwir. In the very language before you get to anything else, photographer. In Arabic, musawwir, a picture maker. You are a picture maker by the very language of the people, let alone getting into any discussion. So Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, when these narrations talk about the picture makers, it doesn't make any difference whether you're drawing something with a pencil, you're painting something with a, 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 a paintbrush, you're sculpting something, or you're pressing a button on a device. You are making a picture in all of those examples, with your hand and the pencil, with your hand and the brush, with the sculpting knife, with your button, with your finger on the button, you are making that image. So the Shaykh says photographs and everything come into it, Shaykh Al-Fawzan. Here though the discussion is about videos, and the Shaykh says videos don't necessarily come into that, because it is just the exact item being transferred onto that film the film within the cameras in the olden days, into that film exactly it is going on to. Just like when you look into a mirror, your reflection, your light exactly is going into it. So based upon that, he says, this is not attempting to create as Allah created. When you look into the mirror, you're not creating as Allah created. And the Shaykh is generally giving the same type of discussion regarding the video. We know though there's a lot more to it than that. That is just a brief side point the Sheikh mentions here. It's not the actual topic. 
When looking into the actual topic, there's a lot more to it than just that. It's a lot more complicated than just saying it's like a mirror and it's exactly the same thing so it doesn't count. Some of the scholars, they take the opinion of a tawakkuf. They say, okay, videos are a different type of thing. It's not, it's not really the same as a picture that you draw or a painting or a, sculpt, a sculpture that you make. A video with these moving pictures in it, movement in them, it's a different concept. So some of them say, I withhold from being able to give a fatwa. Some of them have that position, a tawakkuf as it's known as, that they withhold from being able to give a position. Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Some of them outright will say, no, videos come under picture making. They come under the same category. We don't allow it. And then some along these kinds of lines of a Shaykh al-Ithameen here will say that it's okay. In terms of the usage though, it is still not something that should be opened up. In certain circumstances, there are fatawa of the scholars allowing it for certain purposes. So for example, a Shaykh al-Ithameen himself, a Shaykh bin Baz, and other scholars, they allow videos or TV imagery, which is video recording, they allow that for da'wah purposes, for example. A Shaykh bin Baz initially in his earlier fatawa used to say, no, it's pictures. But then he says himself in another fatwa that after some of the brothers, they came and explained to me how, because the Shaykh was blind and he was blind from the age of 20 onwards. But he would have been 20 back in the, maybe just when television was coming out in those early days. So he, he said afterwards, brothers came to me and they explained now in the 80s and 90s and the development and video cameras and everything. And they explained to me how it works now, this films and or the films on the, the uh, recorded imagery and videos, how it works. And he said, when they explained that to me, then I saw that there is a maslaha in allowing that to occur for the da'wah purposes. So then he said, that's good. It is good that sometimes some people can see the one giving the da'wah, they can see him and his words, and that would have more of an impact than just the audio of somebody. So he said, I saw in the end that there was a maslaha to allow it for those purposes. And some other scholars have similar statements of allowing it for those purposes. Outside of that, to open it up and say it's halal, go and do it. Everybody go make your home videos and hours and hours of footage. Not to that level, but to a restricted level of using it. As you see now, you see some of the videos of the scholars. You see them, they'll be sat there, maybe in a conference, maybe in, a, in some room or some gathering. And there'll be a video made of them, video recording, goes out on TV, etc. Of the scholar discussing some issue, giving a lesson answering questions for that purpose like that some of the scholars they've said okay others still know there are others who still do not agree at all so it's one of those issues where some of them have allowed it for a maslaha like Sheikh bin Baz or Sheikh al-Ithameen etc and some others may still be hesitant over it but that's the basic issue with the videos and uh, video recordings occurring. So then, the main point here though is about picture making. 
And the Shaykh says, whether you make pictures with your hand or on the computer, that you use your mouse and you make some picture on the screen of a person, you are the picture maker in those instances and you are trying to create like the creation of Allah. That example, I remember there was some artist did a self-portrait of himself, obviously. Did a self-portrait, drew himself, and he drew himself like a photograph. Painted himself as though it was a photograph. And he sent it off to the passport office to apply for a passport. And it passed. They did not realize this was not a photograph. Such was his level of imitation of the creation. To that level, he painted a painting into the size of a photograph size, a passport size photo, that size, cut it out, painted it, made it look gloss and everything, and the colors he used and everything. He looked at it, it looked as though it was a photograph. He sent it and it passed and it was on the news. Look how he conned the system and it was a, a painting. It wasn't even a photograph to that level of imitation. That you look at this picture, you can't tell if it's a photograph by a device or somebody has painted that. So this is what it says in these narrations about trying to imitate the creation of Allah. And then you'll be told to create that creation and you will not be able to do so. Then all of those other questions that come up. But can I then take a picture of my arm as my, uh, 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 what do you call it, the Twitter profile picture? Or if I'm just walking on the side and there's a shot coming in from the angle over there as my Twitter profile picture or sisters taking pictures of themselves in their full outer clothing in their full outer proper clothing but then still a picture of themselves as their Twitter profile that's something strange and it should not be done it's a strange thing that you want to have a picture of yourself on your profile like that uh, to the extent that a sister is gonna take a picture of herself She's covered up, okay, all good. But still, you're going to put a picture of yourself as your Twitter profile or uh, all these other platforms, that are, uh, Instagram, whatever they are. It's not good. It shouldn't be done at all. And then brothers uh, with some little picture of this or that or some other body parts. It's a strange thing. My brother picking up uh, some coffee and then the picture is of the hand and the coffee. <laughs> and all these things, all this, you know, the, the modern day things that happen these days, the artistic Thing to all these pictures there's no need for any of that and it's opening up doors to get beyond what's permissible and to go into those types of picture making or, or aspects of the body aspects of the body are not considered picture making but you don't open up those doors one day it's here one day it's here next thing you're taking your profile picture and putting it on Twitter all of a sudden you don't feel like it's a big deal that's the way it works the shaitan comes with a small thing and then builds up until you eventually don't realize how the big thing is so big. It's like the example they always give in science. If you put a frog in some water and then slowly start to boil it, they say that the frog doesn't realize. These things that they mention in science. The point is when something slowly happens, you don't notice it. If you go to a hot country where it gets to 50 degrees, but you go in the winter where daytime is 20 degrees like the summer in the UK, it's not too bad. And then you stay there and stay there and stay there until summer. You'll feel the heat, obviously, when it gets to 50 degrees. But not like if you landed on the day when it was 50 degrees. 
Because now you've accustomed yourself to it slowly. And that's the way these innovations and these sins work. Shaitan gives you something small first. Because the big thing, you wouldn't do it. That well, I can't do that. That's clearly a sin and haram. A small thing then. So you do the small thing. And then a thing which is just a bit bigger. So then you're accustomed up to level two. Then a level three thing. So now you become used to level three. Level four. And then up eventually till you get to the level ten thing. Whereas before you had done any of those levels, when you were at zero, you looked at 10, haram, I can't do that. But slowly you built up and you've got used to it all. You've got used to level eight, haram. You've got used to level nine, haram. All of a sudden now, he'll take you to the level 10. So a person has to be careful with these things and not get involved in opening up the doors to pictures in that way. We'll perhaps mention this next narration as well. باب قراءة الفاجر والمنافق وأصواتهم وتلاوتهم لا تجاوز حناجرهم. The chapter regarding the recitation of a sinner and a hypocrite and that their voices and their recitation does not go beyond their throats. قال البخاري حدثنا هدبة بن خالد قال حدثنا همام قال حدثنا قتادة قال حدثنا أنس عن أبي موسى رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال مثل المؤمن الذي يقرأ القرآن كالأترجة طعمها طيب وريحها طيب والذي لا يقرأ كالتمرة طعمها طيب ولا ريح لها ومثل الفاجر الذي يقرأ القرآن كمثل الريحانة ريحها طيب وطعمها مر ومثل الفاجر الذي لا يقرأ القرآن كمثل الحنظلة طعمها مر ولا ريح لها This hadith it talks about the different types of people and their recitation or lack of recitation of the Quran It says the example of a believer who recites the Quran is like al-utruja, a citrus fruit. The example of a believer who recites the Quran is like a citrus fruit. Its taste is good and the smell of it is good. The taste of it is good and the smell of it is good. And as for a believer who doesn't recite the Quran, then he is like a date. Its taste is good, but dates normally don't have any smell to them. Not particularly. There is of course some smell to them, but not anything particular. But when you taste them, they're sweet. So a believer is still a believer, but he doesn't recite anything so as though there is no fragrance of beauty coming from him. It's just a date that tastes good, but there's no good smell to it. That's the believer who doesn't recite. Then the sinner who recites the Quran, a sinner, a wrongdoer, who recites the Quran is like a reyhana. I don't know what they call this in English. And, uh, uh, Huh? Aromatic, that's a description of it. I was just about to say that, but that's uh, the actual fruit. I don't know what it's called. Aromatic plant just means a plant that has a good smell to it. Basil? Basil? I don't even know what basil is, to be honest. But basil, 
So if it's basil, basically it's a type of plant which has a good smell, aromatic plant as they say. It's a type of plant which has a good smell to it. So then, that's the example of a, a wrongdoer who recites the Qur'an. The smell coming is good, the smell and the fragrance is good, but the taste is bitter. Because it's a wrongdoer, bitterness, but he's reciting the Qur'an, that's the good smell. And as for the wrongdoer who does not recite the Qur'an, then that is like Alhamdala. Alhamdala, there's another name for it in English. Any fruit and veg people here? <laughs> they call it, uh, it sounds like cyclone or something. It's called uh, it's colosynth. Huh? Huh? Colosynth. 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 The colosynth. Whatever colosynth is, you'll have to go and check the picture of a colosynth. Google it. Somebody Google it now. What is a colosynth? Show us a picture. So the colosynth, that's the example of a, a wrongdoer who doesn't recite the Qur'an. Because the taste is bitter and there is no smell to it. So you see how the examples work? All these are colosynth. So it looks like a, a cross between a melon and a watermelon. A bit like a melon stroke watermelon, but I think a bit smaller. So that's colosynth. Those who are connoisseurs of these things will know, I'm sure. So that is mentioned as having a bitter taste to it and no smell to it. So the Sheikh says the first example here is of the one, the believer who recites the Quran and acts upon it. Like that citrus fruit where the taste is good and the smell is good. The second is of the hypocrite who recites the Qur'an. Then that's like the Rayhana, the aromatic or the basil, the aromatic plant or the basil, where the smell is good, but the taste is bitter. This order is different to how it was mentioned. The third one is the believer mentioned here in the explanation. The one who uh, doesn't recite the Qur'an, that was like the date. The taste is good, but there is no smell. And the fourth one, the sinner, the wrongdoer who recites, uh, doesn't recite the Qur'an is the, the synchalathis, whatever it's called, that hanghala, meaning the one who doesn't have or it doesn't have any good taste, it's bitter in its taste, and also it doesn't have any smell. The point of this, again the shaykh says, the point of the narration is, أَنَّ الرَّسُولَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم uh, that the Prophet attributed the reciting to the reciter. That the one who recites the Quran, then he is like this and that. The one who doesn't recite the Quran, then he is like this and that. The recitation is being attributed to them. Their action of reciting, but the words are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that one for today then. Looks like maybe another two sessions or three sessions and we will conclude the book inshallah ta'ala. So we'll stop on that for today. We'll carry on with it next week. Any questions or anything else before we round off? Somebody um, follows a weak opinion. So for example, what you mentioned about the four graphs. 
um, or he says that you know you can't be criticised for it because it's a scholarly opinion. Is that right? To follow a weak opinion about something and say, but it's a scholarly opinion, that in of itself isn't enough. Because we've been told to follow the evidences and the strength of evidences wherever they are. Yes, this is an argument that is, it's there, and it is mentioned. And it may well be mentioned by some of those who are respected regarding the photographs. But what's clear is that if you explain to those people, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, very simply, when you take photographs with a device, are you making a picture or not? You are saying upon that discussion, they are saying, no, it's not a picture, it's just like a mirror. It's exactly the same thing. It's an argument. But as Sheikh Al-Fawzan is basically saying, are you feeling confident with that argument? If you're confident, 100% that this is not picture making, it's just like a mirror X, Y, and Z. You're confident you'll be able to stand on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with no fault on this issue, then you do what you want. But anybody feel confident on that? That these pictures you take with your, fo- with your phones and devices, that they are not considered pictures? You are not called a picture maker, a photographer? The Sheikh says when you take those pictures, you are known in the language as a picture maker, photographer. Even linguistically they call you that, that you've made some pictures, you've taken these photographs, you are a photographer, a picture maker. So the one who feels confident and safe and they say, no, absolutely, we're out of that, there's no doubt. Khalas, that's up to them. What is clear and sound and certainly safe is that you do not get yourself involved in taking pictures of living things. All of this is about living things, trees, mountains, do what you want. But the living things, the safe and correct opinion is you don't make pictures of them at all. Not even with your devices of humans, of living things. Anything else? It's not much you can do. Here in this country, Muslim butchers, you don't have to question it. If you go to a shop, it's a Muslim butcher shop, you can buy the meat. You don't have to ask them, where do you slaughter? What's the address of the the warehouse you slaughter from? You get your meat from and then go and investigate that and go do undercover. You don't have to do anything. A Muslim butchers is giving meat. You can buy that meat without having to do a full investigation into it. It's a Muslim butcher, it is assumed by default that they are slaughtering properly and it's correct and valid to eat. The same kind of argument is used by some regarding the meat of Ahlul Kitab in this country. The meat of Ahlul Kitab, normally obviously we know it's halal. Eating the meat of the Jews and the Christians is halal. Sure, I've told you the story of the virgin flight once. I thought to myself, you know, sometimes you order the meal and I, I, I normally tick the Muslim box, the Muslim meal. But on some occasions, I realize that they don't really give you anything. They give you the vegetarian option. The Muslim meal is just the vegetarian option on the flight that, that day. So one day I thought to myself, I'm going to tick the Jewish option, the kosher meal. Maybe I'll get something better. Maybe I'll get something, you know, juicier. 
So I clicked the, I, I, take, I ticked the uh, kosher option, and uh, when the food came, you know, obviously kosher, the level of strictness they have, even these cakes and chocolates, you can't have anything. So when it came, I had no dessert, no nothing, all the cakes and everybody, everybody was having all these, these chocolate gato things and everything, nothing. They gave me an apple wrapped in some white, what do you call it, the white uh, <laughs> clean film. An apple wrapped in white clean film, that was my dessert. And everybody eating the cakes and the gatos, I thought I won't pick that again. <laughs> so the point, it's allowed, the, the meat of the Jews and the Christians, but in this country, obviously there's the debate about are they even really Christian? The Jews, no problem, you go to the kosher shops, buy your meat, it's permissible. But the Christian meat, there's the debate about are they really Christian or not? One side of it says, obviously, it's a Christian country, head of state is Christian, it's officially Christian, therefore you can take the meat of the Christians and eat it. But then it may be argued, maybe, that we know overwhelmingly that Christianity isn't the overriding religion amongst the population. There's not, there's not a, I'd be surprised if there's any slaughterhouse that recognizes itself or identifies as a Christian company and a Christian slaughter, very few. So because of that, maybe some doubt arises. But the argument exists that it's a Christian country, therefore it's Christian meat. It's possible. But otherwise, you don't have to investigate. Meat of the Muslims, you can take it, you can have it, no investigation needed. Anything else? Stock market investments, as a basic answer, yes, it's allowed. But then as a detailed answer, you have to look into it all. Into where you're investing, what the stocks are, what the companies are. Then the whole detail comes into it. But at the basic level, yes, it's allowed. If everything else you checked it out and the details are all good and sound and halal, then yes, as a basic rule, it's allowed. But it all depends on which company, how it's doing, what they trade and all that rest of it. That you have to investigate carefully. Mm. Is it advised to travel with the coronavirus going around? That you can look at the advice of the relevant governments and countries. There's nothing wrong with that type of advice. If they now advise you, don't travel to, for example, China because of the obvious situation there, then that would be a good advice to take. And it doesn't get to the level of the plague, obviously it's not that level. Uh, it's not even a deadly virus per se. Uh, the ones who have died are basically elderly people with weak immune systems mostly. But nevertheless, that type of situation is there. They've given the advice, don't go to this place. It's a sound advice to take. It is a sound advice to take not to go somewhere where it's currently out of control. Anything else? If you don't have any choice and you have to eat what? McDonald's? McDonald's? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Now is you have a restaurant is Muslim restaurant. You don't want to eat the Muslim restaurant. How would you want to eat McDonald's? McDonald's? The one the what do you call it? The Big Mac? Now is this one is allowed to eat all Yeah, the McDonald's and these places back to that same kind of discussion. People of the book. McDonald's, is it Jewish? What is it? Well, people of the book, generally, it is here in, within the fold of Christianity or, or, or Judaism or along those lines, McDonald's and these places. 
So upon the argument of being in a Christian country and the head of state being Christian, then yes, it is permissible to eat the meat of the people of the book. But the only other thing the scholars have mentioned is the issue of cross-contamination. Even if you say, okay, we're in the land of the people of the book, so we can go to these restaurants and eat the meat, eat the beef burger, etc. Contamination is an issue. If they are cooking their pork and their other types of haram foods in that same oil, in the same utensils, same pots and everything all being done, the bacon comes out and then your beef burger goes in, then some scholars have said, no, you can't. Then you can't go to these restaurants like that. If everything is all just in there, then obviously there's the issue of the contamination of the pork and the bacon and everything else and the oils coming onto your beef. So that is an issue to take into note. But otherwise, upon the argument, then that argument is long regarding the Christian country and the permissibility. Is Nike allowed? Nike, wearing the Nike shoes and Nike garments. There's a fatwa very old, 15, 20 years ago from a Sheikh Ahmed al-Najmi, rahimahullah ta'ala, where it was mentioned to him that Nike is uh, named after a Greek god. Goddess, a Greek goddess. So what do you think about wearing these? And the Sheikh said, if that be the case, and it is after a Greek goddess, etc., then obviously don't wear that. They say, but it's nothing to do with the Greek goddess. It's just a brand name. That I find hard to believe, even though I've not looked into it carefully, but I find it hard to believe. The very purpose of branding is to have some recognition behind that brand. The very purpose of it. So Nike, the very purpose of it would have, I assume, would have been a connection to the Nike goddess and what that Nike goddess represents. That's what makes a brand. Otherwise, Nike is just four letters, N-I-K-E. Pick any other four random letters then. That doesn't make a brand. Some recognition to something makes a brand. So I would assume, almost definitely, that Nike is called Nike if it's because of that goddess, maybe there's other things called Nike that they based Nike upon. But if it's based upon the goddess, it will be based upon the characteristics of the goddess, whatever this so-called goddess represented. And based upon that, as Sheikh Ahmed al-Najmi said, don't wear Nike goods. Then, uh, some years later, a Sheikh Ubaid al-Jabiri, Hafizullah Ta'ala, was asked similar type of question. He said, but if it is some type of garment whereby you are wearing it in a form of degradation, then it's not a problem. Uh, and I think the question was in particular to night trainers. The Sheikh said, well, shoes, they're on your foot. Stepping on them, dirtying them on the ground, it's not luxury, that's degradation of footwear isn't something of status. So you could wear them, it's a degradation of Nike. It's a degradation of Nike on your foot as a trainer on the floor. That's not any praise of Nike. But the reality is here in the West, we know in the West how it works. Your Nike trainers aren't degradation. When you pay 200 pounds for them, you're wearing them to be seen in them. That's the reality. So if that's the reality, then the original fatwa of Sheikh Ahmed applies here. If indeed Nike have named it because of this so-called goddess, that you shouldn't wear them then. And there's plenty of other brands and plenty of other different companies you can buy from. It's not a necessity that you have to have Nike.
Isn't a video just a lot of still pictures put together? Correct. And this is why there's all this different debate and discussion. A video is just a whole ton of still photos put together and then they make the movement. In the very simplest form, you've seen those cartoon books and they flick the pages and it looks like it's moving. That's a video. So yes, there is the debate because of these types of things. Anything else? Go on. People of the book, when they sacrifice an animal, do they say Allah's name? They do. They slaughter upon their method of slaughtering. The Christians slaughter in their method of slaughtering upon the name of God. And the Jews do it upon the, how they do it. And that is permissible to eat. That meat of theirs, how they slaughter it, is permissible to eat. It's in the Quran. Anything else? I get it, that's okay, but the scholars do say, and it's a principle mentioned within the religion, or not principle, but it's something which is understood when studying the texts and situations, even if a word in its asal, or anything in its asal is permissible, if something overwhelms it, and therefore it becomes recognized outside of its asal now, then that new item is what it's recognized for. An example of that, or something loosely highlighting that, is the narration about the man who made a vow to go and slaughter at Bawana, a name of a place. He made a vow, I will slaughter a camel at that place. So then they came to the Prophet and asked him, is it permissible for me to fulfill that vow? The Prophet asked him, is that location a place where the mushrikun do their Eids and their celebrations? They said, no. He said, is it a place where they do their slaughtering? They said, no. He said, okay, in that case, go and slaughter. Meaning, had it been a place where they slaughter, had it been a place where they were doing their Eids, then it wouldn't have been correct for the Muslim to go and slaughter there because of the doubt that this creates. Even though the place itself, by default, nothing wrong with it, but because of what has occurred upon it. So if now Nike is recognized by everybody as a Greek goddess, if you now did a, a survey of a whole bunch of people and said to them, what's Nike or Nike? And they said a Greek goddess. That's the first thing that everybody knows. Nobody knows that the asal was actually just a word meaning victory. Then now what is widespread is the meaning of the goddess. And if that's what's widespread now, the meaning of the goddess, and nobody knows the actual asal, then you have to base the ruling upon what is known and widespread to the people. So there's still a doubt over it. Still a doubt over it. Anything else? Um, you're the authority figure in the house. The statement of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan, I believe, is a very strong statement. That when you take a photograph, how are you convincing yourself you're not in the narrations of the picture makers? Based upon that, then yes, if you are the figure of authority in your home, you have that authority, you should explain to your family members about these narrations, sit them down and explain all of this topic and this issue to them, and destroy those photographs. But with the explanation to your family, because then that is a means of da'wah to them and it is a means of understanding. 
If you don't do that, then they just say, you guys, you Salafis, you extremists, you this, you that, got rid of all the pictures. You explain to them, explain why, and give them da'wah regarding it, and then get rid of the photographs. Anything else? Go on. Animals is the same thing. They are living things. No, that's an exception. There are some exceptions now and again scholars have mentioned. Animal pictures, it's mentioned by some of them. That you're teaching kids what a, a lion is and what an elephant is. So the only way to teach them short of taking them to a zoo is to show them a picture of an elephant and a picture of a lion. So scholars say, okay, some necessity in teaching may be. But that's exceptions. And in fiqh they say, the exception doesn't get given the rule. The rule is it's impermissible. The exception is a side thing. Anything else? Know that we've mentioned before as well. Quran into plaques and photographs and these frames that they sell for a hundred pounds with Quran written on them and you put them on the walls, not permissible. As Shaykh al said, the Quran was not revealed to be made into decoration. The Quran was revealed to be read and understood and practiced. We spoke about it before. It was not made for decoration. So it's not permissible to have these types of frames with Quran and photographs on the walls. Anything else? Kids been told to make a picture of living like a fish or things like that. Is that permissible? Or should they shouldn't be taught in this way to, to make pictures of living things. A limited scope of permissibility may be allowed for kids. But it's a limited scope in learning. But outside of that, you don't make it a practice for kids to draw pictures of animals and things like this. Anything else? How about coloring them in? Is coloring books with some... No, same thing. You don't uh, make it a habit for your kids with those kinds of things. Give them pictures of trees and ponds and anything else, rather than giving them pictures of living things. Better. Somebody here? Uh, I just wanted to ask, like, for example, you know, if uh, an individual is making an attempt to memorize the Quran and then revising it, sometimes you can vocalize it to yourself or you can just go through it internally. Um, is there more virtue in vocalizing it? Or? There is more virtue in vocalizing the Quran when reading it. Because the narrations that talk about the reward for reading are not reading in your mind. The narrations about the reward for reading it are when you physically upon your lips are saying the words rather than just looking into it and reading it in your heart. Those narrations about the rewards of reading are physically vocalizing the words upon your tongue. Anything else? Uh, does, um, say for argument's sake, uh, and in the Christian country, does that now mean every single uh, business that sells meat or every takeaway? Absolutely not. Even if we say upon the argument that it's a head of state, Christianity, it's a Christian country, that doesn't mean every single shop is now okay, because clearly there are shops of the mushrikun. Reminds me of an example, there used to be a KFC, not a, a, a KFC, the actual KFC, one of these fakes, uh, some other name they had for it. But they used to do the best chicken ever. <laughs> but this particular crunchy, what's the proper one called, Kentucky? Yeah. So this was called crunchy or something else. And they used to do fantastic chicken, and we used to get it all the time. Then on one occasion, we went and we bought a family bucket, a few of the brothers bought a family bucket, the big 20-pound one or something, took it, sat down, all looking forward to this chicken, it was a regular thing, opened it up, and that day there was one brother with us, 
And he said, but these guys, they're Rafidis. That shop, that takeaway, this KFC is owned by Rafidis. They're meat. They source it. Who knows from where? Rafidis or something. So we took it back, the full family bucket, and we asked them, are you... Are you <laughs> and they, they said, yes, yes, you know, yes, we are. We said, can, can we have a refund possibly? And they gave us a refund. But that's the point. Some are mushrikun, some of them. That's just an example of the Rafida. But other people here, Sikhs, Hindus, etc., Shops owned by them, takeaways owned by them. You cannot eat the meat of that. That's mushrikun. So that doesn't give you an open ticket to anything in the country. Obviously, somebody known or something known as mushrik, you don't buy from them. Mushrik in terms of other than Ahlul Kitab. It would not be suitable to go and buy those vegetarian options from them. If you're going to get vegetarian options, you can do it from so many different places. And uh, here, if we're going to talk about the rules, then Ahlul Kitab is still better than going to the Mushrikun like that. Anything else? Are you allowed to eat in Shia? Uh, the Shia Rafida and those types of people, then no. You should not go and eat from them. Who knows if they meat, they are slaughtering it themselves. Many of them have the ruling of Kufar upon them. Shouldn't eat from them. Anything else? What about reciting the Kitab in the mobile? What about reciting it in the mobile? Yeah? Is it the same reward? Yeah, the reward is the same. You're reading from the, the tablet or your phone, reading it out loud. The reward for you is the same. The reward of recitation is the same. Uh, the tablet or the phone or whatever you're reciting from, you're reciting the Quran. No, the question was inside the mosque. No, then the, some of the scholars have mentioned if you're in the mosque, read from the mushaf. They say, why are you going to use this device and this thing? It's not a... It's not the, the asal of it. The mushaf used that in that case, they say, rather than the devices if you're in the mosque. Last question, go on. You get some form of reward from listening to the Quran without reciting it. Yeah, there's reward in listening to the Quran, listening to it, pondering over it, its meanings, etc. That's a good thing to do as well. Go on, go on. <laughs> you, you, you put your hand up with such a beautiful smile, go ahead. These big companies like McDonald's and Burger King and everything, they are separated from the host country because they are international. So if you now have this international company in England or in the United Kingdom, and we say the United Kingdom, the head of state is Christian, okay. But this company isn't a British company, for example. It's an international company, so where is it from? What if it's from India and it's from the Mushrikun? So just because it's in the country doesn't make it by default okay, that's a point. Because it's an international company, so where is it from? Is it from another country where Christianity is their religion? Then okay, now the company is recognized as being from a country where the state is a Christian state, so now you can apply the rulings again generally. But that's a point, it's true. You do have to have some understanding of what's going on. Have to round off on that. Tomorrow, remember, it's the event. 
all day beginning from Zuhr, Zuhr 12.45 is it still? 1 p.m. Huh? Sorry. So uh, Zuhr 1 o'clock, uh, uh, Zuhr is 1 o'clock though. Zuhr prayer 1 o'clock and then straight after Zuhr 1.30 beginning the events for the day, the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, different topics and a variety of different benefits from the da'wah of the Prophet sallallahu his actual biography, various topics all day. Remember as well, use this opportunity tomorrow for a means of da'wah to the people. Obviously, events like this, you'll get people coming who don't come to the regular weekly class. There'll be a lot more people coming. So use the opportunity to give da'wah. Bring your friends and families to this type of event. They'll see all the brothers, the sisters, the event, the stalls, everything. It's good for the people to see this, to see the masjid and to see these events and to listen to the actual talks. So there'll be lots of people coming who don't usually regularly come. So use the opportunity to be good with them and give da'wah to them as well and encourage them thereafter to attend the classes on a more regular basis to make an effort in then regularly seeking knowledge because that's the asal. The conference occurs a day or two days and gone. If we're expecting those people to just come for the conference and then that's it. We don't see them and we don't hear from them for a year again. That isn't da'wah to those people like that. You want to use this as a type of magnet or a basis to then improve the da'wah for them. To use this event for the day to encourage them to carry on coming thereafter. Encourage them to seek knowledge. Show them about the classes and all the different marakis as well. There may be people coming from other areas, Bolton here, there, everywhere, to tell them about the mosques and the classes going on. That's an opportunity tomorrow. So take that opportunity with the new people who come, the leaflets, everything. That's something good to spread the da'wah to the newcomers. And even if they are not newcomers, there may well be some people who perhaps they came and then maybe they broke away or they became weak. Sometimes happens. And so it's a, another chance for encouragement when you see an event like this and the du'at are coming and the lectures are going on. It's an, a, an opportunity to encourage those who maybe you see less of now. And as well, I'll give you an example. Recently somebody said to me, well not recently, a while ago, in another markaz, somebody contacted me from another city and they, they were asking some questions. I don't even know who it was. I don't have their number saved. It was just some person asking me some questions. And they said they were from a particular city. So I said to him, okay, khalas, if you're from that city, I'm there every such and such a day, just come. And after the lesson, just mention, remind me, and I'll tell you what the, you know, this issue is or whatever else. He said, no, I can't come to the classes because there are some brothers there who there's an issue with. There's other people who attend and there's an issue with them. So okay, even if there is, I'm not asking you to come and sit next to that brother and hold hands with him. You come and you sit and attend the class, you're going to deprive yourself because there's somebody you don't get on with who's sitting over there or there's some other brother who's sitting down there. Don't deprive yourselves and your families for these reasons or any reasons like this. It is all from the shaitan to prevent a person in seeking knowledge, in using his time in that which benefits. So use the opportunity tomorrow as a means of da'wah to the people as well. There'll be a lot of new faces inshallah. So we'll continue next week as normal with this class Saturday at 8 p.m. in or after Isha, inshallah ta'ala.